It's a tradition as old as the Republic. Local jurisdictions control and operate elections, even to federal offices. But as the issue of election security becomes front and center, should Congress become involved? Jake LaPeruque is senior counsel at the Constitution Project of the Project on Government Oversight. He thinks there's something Congress could do, and he joins me now. Mr. LaPeruque, good to have you on. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And you looked at the whole election landscape, and you came to the conclusion in a new report that it's really the voter registration systems that are the vulnerability in elections, correct? There are a huge array of um, threats and vulnerabilities across our voting systems. You know, it's important we take on all of them, look at voting machines, tabulators, um, results. But um, one thing that we found just kind of looking at the space is that registration databases are a, a colossal threat in terms of the, the havoc that could be wrought if a malicious actor really got in and did damage with them and they're not getting as much attention as the voting machines, which are important, but, you know, seem to be a fairly well-covered topic um, at this point. Um, registration databases, because they're centralized, they potentially could offer the sort of biggest bang for your buck for a malicious state actor or um, another malicious hacker. Safe to say that every state's election registration system is a standard online type of database that's on their business systems, like everything else that they conduct, like car registration and the rest of it. There is variance. Pretty much all states will have a centralized electronic database. There are a couple exceptions to those. Some states do decentralized databases. But for the vast majority at this point, you know, it's all electronic. It's it's all centralized. States have variants in terms of whether that's online or offline. It's definitely much more preferable to make sure that the, the data itself, even if you have some copies of it put online, that the, your storage is offline and disconnected from the internet because that's a serious access point for malicious hackers. And then states have significant variants in backups, both in whether they do backups and what kind of backups they do. And that's actually a topic we want to dive into in the future, because that's certainly probably the most um, direct and effective way to prevent and mitigate risk of attacks on election and registration databases. And of course, the popular topic is Russia and Russia invasion of such databases. But is it safe to say, and I probably think it is safe to say, that a privileged insider user could be dragooned into hacking a database. That's certainly possible. And that's actually something that we saw to some degree in the results of the 2016 election as this continues to be investigated both by Robert Mueller and also the intelligence committees. The Senate Intelligence Committee found that actually one access point for Russia and Russian hackers who did penetrate and access some registration databases is that um, not through ruling actors, but basically by infiltrating not the registration databases themselves immediately, but the vendors being able to compromise the vendors to get into their systems offered a backdoor into these systems effectively. And other than what the Mueller investigation has found out, do we know of other hacks from other sources of um, state registration databases? I can recall, and uh, yeah, the, the Mueller investigation found some additional items on this. I believe the original items that were reported out publicly came from the Senate Intelligence Committee noting that multiple registration databases that Russia did have the capacity to access them and even change records. Now, I don't think we've seen any records or indication that they actually did so, 
but the capacity was there. We're speaking with Jake LaPeruque, senior counsel at the Constitution Project at the Project on Government Oversight. And what would the motivation be for someone to hack in? I mean, Russia has its purposes, but most people that hack into databases simply want to get their hands on personally identifiable information and may not want to affect an election. Right. I mean, this is something we've seen on um, a smaller scale, you know, in some instances of breaches of, of registration data, or simply in a lot of cases, states that, you know, manage registration data, you know, just accidentally put a file with far more information than they should publicly. Um, some states have laws about, you know, allowing citizens to access certain bits of registration data, you know, see who's registered, things like that, and have occasionally leaked out far too much information, such as party affiliation, um, you know, personally, personal contact information, things like that. We actually have had a couple issues with that in DC. So that's always a risk in that, you know, personal information can be stockpiled and used for identity theft, for um, further malicious hacking, things like that. Now, in terms of um, attacking elections and using registrations that way, there's there's two really big threats that you could see from Russia or uh, another malicious state actor, potentially even from a non-state actor, although given the uh, sophistication and resources required for such coordinated and sophisticated attack, it probably would have to be a state. The first is simply to cause chaos. And this is something we've heard, um, you know, over and over as a major motive for Russia. They want to discredit democracy. They want to uh, cause uh, both people in this country and globally to sort of lose faith in our democratic institutions and our system of government. And, um, you know, what better way to do that than to wreak so much havoc on an election that, you know, you can't have an election at all. And if you destroy registration databases prior to putting out poll books, you know, I mean, this is really the verification system that we use for people to vote. You know, we have a lot of debate ongoing about whether voter ID cards, um, you know, photo ID, things like that are necessary um, for elections and verification you know, we don't take a position on that in the report and, and otherwise, but I think it, it's pretty commonplace and non-controversial that people register. And that's how we kind of at a baseline verify who's in different locations and who's voting there. If you don't have that, if that data all gets deleted right before an election, sure. it's practically impossible to have the election. The second way you could really wreck a lot of havoc and do a lot of damage, you could very in a targeted manner manipulate registration databases. When we talk about hacks and voting machines, we usually think about, oh, going into a place where there's, you know, a lot of Democratic voters, a lot of Republican voters, and messing up those machines, you know, maybe shutting them down so people won't be able to vote and there'll be long lines or, you know, hacking the machine to switch ballots. You could effectively do the same thing with registration system. You could go in and find where there's, you know, the auction's going to be very, very close. You could go find 10, 20,000 really reliable Republican votes or 10 or 20,000 really reliable Democratic votes sure. and purge them from the database. And then suddenly you have that block of you know, 10, 20,000 people for one candidate that suddenly can't vote. And you mentioned that Congress does require states to have provisional balloting systems. So if for some reason, small percentage of voters can't vote for some reason, they get a provisional ballot, which is then later verified. But it sounds like if there was mass disruption then that would not be a practical or even doable solution. Yeah, exactly. So a few states up until 2000 had provisional ballots as sort of this backup system. After the Help America Vote Act was passed in 2002, it was required that every state develop provisional ballots. And the concept behind this was that, you know, occasionally when we see problems, you know, maybe just something goes wrong with a poll book, there's a printing error, or if someone 
moves and there's a little confusion about that about you know how they're registered the provisional ballots basically that are say hey if we can't clear this up and make sure the person can vote right there and then with a normal ballot we'll have them cast this provisional ballot so that they are able to participate on election day we'll get it sorted out after the fact and if everything checks out we'll count their vote now there's a huge variance between states um, about how exactly provisional ballots work when they apply when they get counted in some ways that makes sense because you know every state has different rules and regulations for voting and you should count for that to, to create an effective system um the problem we found in our recent report was be, the idea of what if we have to use these provisional ballots on a broad basis so going back to that you know doomsday scenario i mentioned uh let's say a foreign actor just goes to a state infiltrates the registration database and right before the election uh, wipes out the whole thing and suddenly we don't have anyone's registration data in that case for the majority of states the only option to actually go forward with the election would be for everyone to cast provisional ballots um, because generally the the way state laws work is if they're not listed in on records as a registered voter their only option is to cast a provisional ballot and unfortunately the way a lot of these laws are written because they were written for isolated cases they are very unprepared for being used in the sense so we think a, a really good solution, whether it's at the state level or by amending the Help America Vote Act, would be to say, and, and this is the case in numerous states, other methods such as DMV databases, panels that conduct review provisional ballots could serve as an alternate means of verifying the authenticity of provisional ballot votes that you know, you're not solely relying on the registration database as the means of verifying and then counting provisional ballots. And that's what Congress could do. Right. This is one area where it's very relatively non-controversial that Congress is involved. It really wouldn't have any effect on elections unless you were already in this doomsday scenario where the registration database has been compromised and is unusable in some way or another. Jake LaPeruc is senior counsel at the Constitution Project of the Project on Government Oversight. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. We'll post a link to his report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive anytime you want. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature.